I'm retired Colonel Rob Manis. Your kids and grandkids are being taught to hate America in public schools using flawed ideas like the 1619 Project. You can provide an antidote to this disease of hate for all America stands for. It's Dennis Hawes, The Road to Americanism. You can make sure our young people learn to love America and become the citizens we need to protect her future. Order The Road to Americanism on Amazon.com right now. Good afternoon, everybody. This is retired Colonel Rob Manis, and we are back for our Tuesday afternoon live show, which will tape and be published again on LifeSet TV and RobManus.com on Thursday morning every single week. Uh, well, folks, welcome back. And how are we going to defeat the all-out assault on the U.S. Constitution? Americans who observed the second impeachment trial of the President of the United States really saw that they likely noticed the pious and morally arrogant impeachment managers that incessantly repeated that the trial was about defending the Constitution because Americans had the audacity to disrupt the now purely ceremonial electoral college vote count by the president. They said the Capitol building was the cathedral of our democracy, but said the impeachment was about the republic. These clowns couldn't even get their terminology right. What you actually saw was an assault on due process, the First Amendment, and destruction of those critically important constitutional values so the Democrats and establishment Republicans known collectively as the Uniparty could destroy a citizen, now former President Trump. They explicitly chose to trample on these values in order to, quote, save the Republic and defend the Constitution. Well, we have a response to that. You can find my specific response to Senator Bill Cassidy of Louisiana, a Uniparty useful idiot at robmanus.com or pinned to the top of my Facebook page at COL Rob Manus that you may be watching the show on. But our long-term strategy is taking the U.S. House and Senate back in 2022 with America First candidates. How do we know if a candidate is America First? Well, if they answer these questions correctly, you'll have a hint. Number one, is Joe Biden a legitimately elected president? No. Two, would you have voted to impeach Donald Trump? No. Three, do you support America First policies such as energy independence, a strong national defense, but an immediate end to forever war policies and economic and immigration policies that favor American citizens and legal immigrants? Yes. If any of those answers are wrong, don't support that candidate. Further vetting also, if a candidate has a history of accepting corporate donations from big tech, big pharma, big oil and gas, or big new energy, be very suspect of that candidate. And the final vetting step is if a candidate is getting financial support from the Uniparty in a primary or ever has, they are not likely to keep their promises to be America first. 
Our contribution to this effort will be highlighting America First candidates on this show as often as necessary from now until Election Day in 2022. First up is Tom Norton, an Afghanistan war veteran running in Michigan's 3rd Congressional District to unseat Peter Miger. Miger's the freshman congressman who revealed himself as a uniparty politician by voting with 10 other Republicans to impeach President Trump on the falsified incitement charge for the January 6th riot at the Capitol. Tom, welcome to the Rob Mina Show, and we are glad to have you. Glad you're running against Miger, uh, who voted to impeach the president of the United States. Uh, uh, did you hear my monologue where I talked about the three vetting questions for America First candidate? And first of all, are you an America First candidate, Tom? I am an American First candidate, but no, I did not hear your monologue whatsoever. So. Okay, well, well, here's question one to vet you with for my viewers, <laughs> because we want to support you uh, so we can take the House back in 2022. Number one is, was is Joe Biden a legitimately elected president of the United States? I think there's a lot of fraud in each one of the states. And if you look at the evidence that we have in Michigan, I think that Michigan was most likely stolen. And I can't speak from firsthand information from the other states personally. Well, we're looking for a flat out no answer to that based on all <laughs> of the evidence that we're seeing. Well, uh, the evidence I'm seeing in Michigan is that it was stolen here, but I don't live in Georgia and Pennsylvania. I and I don't live in the other states. I know that uh, Antrim County, I know the people up there yeah. doing the investigation and that one's abundantly clear what happened. And yep. then I know Sheriff Mr. Darleaf down in Barry County, and he even says the evidence points to it very clear, clearly here in Michigan. Well, that's perfect. Okay, here's my second vetting question for you. Uh, and this is good because you didn't hear him in the monologue, so you don't know the answers to these. Uh, and that is, do you support America First policies such as energy independence, a strong national defense, but an immediate move away from forever war policies? Uh, and economic and immigration policies that favor American citizens and legal immigrants? Well, you could ask me harder questions, but <laughs> sorry. Here's how I view things on this. Foreign policy. We need for a yes or no answer on that, on these. Yes or well, no. I believe in regionalized. It's a yes answer. I'm an American first policy because I believe in regionalized Absolutely. deployability. So regionalized deployability, you know what that is. It's so we can punch them real hard and, you know, defend the United States. We need to build border walls and actually have policies where we have English as a national language. Most people have walked away from that. But I believe if you don't have English as a national language, you're setting up legal immigrants for failure. And I don't think we should let China continue to take us to the bank when it comes to trade or nor any country in the future. That's a very good answer. Uh, question three. Would you have voted to impeach Donald J. Trump? And this is an easy no. one for you, I know. <laughs> That's, that's a clear no. What do you think of the charge he was impeached on? Well, your, your problem with this is the whole process, What the biggest problem is 72 hours from introduction to a vote. There's no due process. You have witnesses and victims being the judge, trial, and jury when they got up to the Senate. Same type of people in the House. That That's not a courtroom. That's not a process whatsoever. And the other part is for inciting violence. If we're going to start charging politicians for inciting violence, when are we going to impeach Rashida Tlaib, Ilium Omar? Uh, when are we going to impeach AOC? When are we going to get rid of Nancy Pelosi? All of these people incited Black Lives Matter. They killed over 200, killed or wounded over 200 police officers. 
nationally. Burnt police stations down. They had two get killed up in New York City just on Saturday with 11 people injured. But they're not sitting there and calling for any of these other folks who literally incited mob violence against government buildings for an entire summer with billions of dollars in damage. And they're saying that we're going to impeach a president for saying, go peacefully and protest. Well, heck, if that's an impeachable offense, we need to remove them all. You forgot the patriotically part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's ridiculous, isn't it? Uh, the entire trial, I think, was a waste of taxpayers' dollars and time and resources that could have been better spent, uh, you know, maybe passing that $2,000 per uh uh, per person that Joe Biden promised uh, uh, to get done immediately, uh, which still uh, hasn't been done. It doesn't look like it's going to happen as part of the COVID relief package. Uh, but I've got a couple of more vetting questions, and these aren't so much yes or no like the first three were. Uh, and that is, I'm telling my folks that, that if you're looking at a candidate and they've got a history of or they're taking donations from big pharma, big tech, uh, uh, and those kinds of places, big oil and gas, uh, big new energy, like big solar and those kind of corporations that you really got to look a lot deeper than just, uh, you know, a, a, a preliminary vetting. Uh, do you take corporate donations, uh, from those types of companies? I never have, never will. What about, uh, what about, uh, would you take a donation or support from the NRCC, the National Republican Congressional Committee, that's uh, that gives money to congr the congressional candidates they like uh, that are Republicans? Uh, usually, squishes. If, they, uh, if, if I was in the general election, I would, but I don't want any strings attached to it. If they're going to attach your strings to it, then I don't want it. They can keep it. Yeah, and I misphrased my question. I left out a part. It, this is these are. Uh, support in the primaries. Uh, so if NRCC is getting behind a candidate in a primary uh, is uh, what I'm telling folks to watch out for, because usually well, that means you're they're get screwed, an establishment man. candidate. Yeah, you're going to get screwed when they do that. The moment you see the House Republican Committee getting behind somebody, you're not going to get somebody who represents you. The only way you're going to defeat big money is for every single person in America, especially the 74 million Trump voters, to realize that there is strength in numbers. We need to actually go out and pick 365 candidates. If we had a, over a million people across the entire country donate $1 to 365 candidates, we would control the House and we would control the Senate almost overnight if we did that every month. Just do a dollar a month. Watch what happens. You completely destroy the establishment. So what I'm asking people, because we don't have people convinced of that yet, because big money spends tons of dollars to convince us that we don't matter, is I tell folks, go to our website, donate 10, 20, or 30 bucks a month. If you do that, we'll be able to kick Peter Meyer right out of Washington, and he's one of the richest families in Michigan. Yeah, he is one of the richest families in Michigan. What's the, what's the uh, source of wealth for the Meijer family? They have a retail chain. Uh, it's closer to like Walmart is what it's closer to. So it looks exactly like Walmart is what it looks like. So when you go in there, um, that's what Myers is. And regionally, they have a little over 200 and some odd stores, 365, uh, and they're open 365 days a year. They, year. They, they only close for like 12 hours on Christmas. That's it. And uh, they don't have any holiday hours or anything of that nature. But they are from the Grand Rapids area. Uh, 
that's basically where the source of their wealth comes from. They're the largest private retailer in the country. So uh, am I correct in uh, remembering that you ran against uh, Meyer in the primary in the election that won when he first got, got elected to the House last year? I did. He spent $2.2 million. Um, we ended up at 18%. We only spent $100,000. He got 48%. There was five people in the race. We ended up third and the second place winner was spent $2.1 million and got 24%. So I figure we did pretty darn good with no money. And that's one of the reasons why we have so many people starting to support us this time. And we're actually getting people to realize, hey, if I donate my money here, my little bit of money, and we do it in a mass group, he doesn't seem as formidable anymore. Yeah, money can make you formidable, but I think his uh, impeachment vote uh, is likely going to hurt him. Isn't that correct? Is that oh, yeah, that has drastically destroyed him. I got people who supported him in the primary who have come up to me and said, I'm so sorry we didn't vote for you. I had people who backed one of the other opponents that said they wish they would have voted for me over them because they can trust that I'm actually a Trump supporter. They can trust that I actually support Trump policies. They know what I stand for. I'm honest. I point out my own faults when asked. And that's the type of stuff that really makes a huge difference for people in this district. We had Justin Amash. Peter Meyer came onto the scene challenging Amash in a primary because of an impeachment tweet, let alone an impeachment vote. So voters, even let's say that Trump goes off into the sunset, which I do not think is going to happen. The voters' trust is destroyed in this district with him. And that takes years, multiple, multiple, multiple years to get over it. Not 18 months, that's when our primary is, so I'm not as far out as people think, but years in order to restore that type of trust. Yeah, if he was a, a, you know, an incumbent with you know, five or six terms already in Congress, I think you'd have a different challenge. You know, it wouldn't have been hurt so much uh, by this vote, but since he's just brand new to Congress and and really ran against Amash uh, <laughs> just because Amash was threatening uh, to go with the impeachment guys on the panel, uh, those kind of things. Uh, I think he's in deep, deep trouble. Uh, have you seen any polling yet? Uh, no. Well, the district's going to change with redistricting. I'm kind of prepping. I'm sorry, my daughter was trying to talk to me in the background. Um, uh, so I, we haven't ran any yet, but I know that the Meyer team has, I know the establishment has, and I know they are completely freaking about, about where we're at right now in the district. Mm -hmm. And what I'm doing is I'm prepping the campaign for that redistricting fight because we'll know what it looks like in August. I know where the base part of the district is going to still be at because I'm about him and I live about dead center of where it's at now. So I'm focusing yeah. really on that center area that we know is going to look the way it is. We only live five miles apart, so I can tell you that we will be running against each other. So this race won't change. Yeah, it's going to be very similar to what it was uh, in 2020, isn't it? Uh, I would imagine it's. I think we're going to probably lose Calhoun piece. I think we'll probably lose Calhoun County. Uh, we'll probably pick up Kentwood. Um, Heisinger will probably pick up uh, Allegan County. Upton will probably pick up Calhoun. We'll probably pick up Montcalm and uh, Nuevo, which in all honesty makes that a way more Trump-friendly district. And the reason is Michigan is losing a congressional district. And you know as well as I do, the Democrats are going to really focus on holding the seven seats they have on the east side of the state. So yeah, they're going to become more red over here. They're not going to help uh, 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 Mr. Meyer there who helped them. 
uh, yeah. re- really w- unwarranted. It, it was not a warranted vote. Uh, I, I don't see how anybody other than a purely establishment Republican, anti-Trumper that's just trying to get Trump uh, would uh, take a vote to impeach this guy on that charge uh, from a principled perspective. And I know he, he tried to make it a pr- about principle, but there really is no principle. It's the most unprincipled action that he'll probably ever take in his elected office career, which I think is probably going to be pretty short uh, if he makes decisions uh, that poorly. Quite well, he's been on radio interviews also attacking the conservative base repeatedly, which is not helping him whatsoever and is helping us locally. So we're getting built up pretty good. And we just have to keep on work, getting all the small donors to keep contributing, keep working on it in order to really pull this off and make sure that we have enough to continue to take the fight to him. Yeah, especially, I mean, Amash is the district that's there now. Amash uh, uh, was openly anti-Trump anyway. So uh, I knew that he, if he was able to do that, that he had to have some loyalties from the voter base in the district uh, that would allow him to be able to do that so consistently without getting utterly uh, defeated. Uh, but he ended up leaving anyway, so he must have misjudged it. I would <laughs> he imagine, did. And it's probably going to go more red and more Trump, uh, and I hope it does. Uh, let's uh, let, let me get your take on some of the things that old Uncle Joe Biden is doing. I, I <laughs> said I don't think he's a legitimate president. I've seen the, the evidence in the six swing states, uh, uh, including Michigan, uh, and uh, it, it's just incredible uh, the amount of misinformation and, and outright falsehoods that were put out there during the impeachment proceeding. I refuse to call it a trial because it wasn't it wasn't a trial uh, presided over by a judge. It was one of the jurors who was a biased juror, too. It said that he wanted to get Trump many times. Uh, Mr. Lady. Judge, jury, and executioner. Yeah, exactly. So it was a proceeding. Uh, and uh, and they actually falsified uh, information that they put out as so-called evidence in some of the tweets. They 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 doctored them up. They doctored the video. They made a video and and mashed the timeline on the Jan- of the day of January sixth to make it look like uh, things were happening based on what the president was saying. And it was all just a really big mess. And I and I think uh, nobody was surprised that Donald Trump was found innocent. Uh, and not guilty uh, uh, or acquitted. I'll use all those terms because that's exactly what happened to him. But uh, so now Uncle Joe's in, uh, whether we like it or not, he's there. And he, he signed, I think, uh, the count this morning that I got off a national pulse from Raheem Kassam was, was uh, 56 executive orders from a man who said during his political campaign that if you sign even one, that's somewhat dictatorial, I think, is the word that he used. Uh, uh, one of those policies is to to force sheriffs and uh, Customs and Border Patrol to release back to the catch and release policy that Mr. Trump eliminated that came from the Obama-Biden administration. So we're back to that. But the sheriffs are speaking out. Uh, just yesterday morning, I saw one of the sheriffs say openly that Mr. Biden's policy is forcing them to release illegal aliens into the population of the United States of America without being COVID tested. Your thoughts on that? Well, the the impeachment process, I found it the most interesting, back to the first part of it, was 
they wanted to call witnesses. And then the moment that Donald Trump said, okay, let me call 300 witnesses, all of a sudden the Democrats completely backed off from it. They were afraid. When it comes to these executive orders, I think they're beyond ridiculous. From the oil executive order to the sheriff executive order, the Second Amendment is meant to be there so that the government is afraid of its people, not its people afraid of its government. So that's point number one when it comes to the executive orders of sheriff. Sheriffs have a constitutional duty to ignore that. On the oil pipelines, the when he sits there and sends 10,000 people home, where are we going to start getting our oil from after we were energy independent under Donald Trump? Are we going to get our oil from the Middle East where they throw people off buildings, stone women for getting raped? Are we going to do that? The executive order is a complete violation of the entire concept of the United States Constitution. I don't care who's president, from George W. Bush to anybody. He goes after the insulin. He goes after everything. I mean, are we going to impeach Joe Biden now when somebody dies because they can't afford their insulin shot because he decided to put a freeze on the on the price reduction of insulin? Are we going to do that? I mean, he, the standard or the bar set so low, we, he can be responsible for anything he signs. So every one of these executive orders that he's signing, I think are a complete violation of the United States Constitution. So if I go into Congress, I have no problem comfortably proposing a, articles of impeachment based upon executive orders and saying that these duties belong in the United States Congress. That's where they need to be originated from. So it's our so, duty to actually go in there and reinstill a checks and balance system. I'm tired of executive order across the board. It's time for Congress members to grow a backbone and actually do something. I know Republicans don't know what it looks like anymore, but you know, in Germany, they do spinal reconstruction surgery. It's a, it's a new thing. I think that we could send Mitch McConnell and a few of the other ones over there and they could probably see if it works. Uh, I think uh, old Mitch is a lost cause when it comes to America first, my friend, <laughs> unfortunately. Uh, you know, and uh, that gets me to a question I wanted to talk to you about since you are a combat veteran from Afghanistan, the Afghanistan war, and that is the forever war policy. Look, I'm a, I'm a big believer uh, being a 33-year uh, Air Force veteran, uh, a professional uh, military officer that we need a strong national defense, but we need that strong national defense to make sure that nobody ever takes us on so that our people aren't killed in wars. But we've had this uniparty, and I call them the uniparty because it's not just Republicans, it's Democrats like Joe Biden, uh, who now wants to stall the withdrawal of American forces from Afghanistan, the remainder that the president was trying, the President Trump was trying to fast track and get over with after what, 18 or 19 years now? I lose track. It's been so long uh, that we've been over there. Uh, so what are you going to uh, propose uh, or do you think you'll consider as a congressman to end this forever war policy, get our combat forces home? Uh, the one I'm talking about engaged in combat. I'm not talking about forces that are helping allies in a peacetime environment and those kind of things like we do in the NATO alliance in Europe uh, at this point. I'm talking about combat forces. Uh, get them home once and for all in these unnecessary wars that our kids are uh, dying and fighting in that we both uh, fought in and just do away with this policy that people like Liz Cheney and Mitch McConnell and Joe Biden and Kamala Harris like. Well, one of the things that we have to do is we have to realize that Donald Trump's the first president in 40 years not to start a new war, but to end them. 
So we need to go to regionalized deployability. We need to revoke the uh, Military Authorization Act that gives a president blank check to start a war for essentially 90 days. We need to get rid of it. If Congress wants us to go to war, Congress needs to pass the bill to go to war in each and every scenario. That's what needs to start to happen. Again, we need to go back to our constitutional roots. We need to realize that within the Constitution, there is a check and balance that Congress just gave away to the executive branch so that they didn't have to be held responsible to voters, so they could blame and point fingers to somebody else. It's time for them to actually show courage and reinstill what we have lost. So my foreign policy for me would be to revoke that, go to regionalized deployability. That way, when somebody actually tries to mess with us, we can punch them because the military's only job is to blow crap up and kill things. That's it. It has no other purpose. It's not a peaceful mission. We are designed to literally go in and level a country when they mess with the United States. And instead, we're now going around and fighting over either oil or natural resources or any one of these other things. When we have, with regionalized deployability, we could have region, we could have the stabilization needed around the world in order to make sure Americans are safe and not in constant and perpetual wars. What, what do you see as the biggest threat? Obviously, Afghanistan and the Taliban and uh, ISIS is now destroyed, uh, utterly, completely vanquished, uh, in my opinion, based on uh, President Trump's actions and, uh, and his willingness to let military leaders win. Uh, you know, those are, those are just minimal threats at this point. What do you see as the number one uh, threat to the United States and uh, Western values, really, of, you know, freedom of speech and those kind of things? Well, the biggest threat right now, now to me and all those things is Joe Biden. I mean, the guy's executive orders, the assault on freedom of speech, our own big tech. I mean, we, they, have a, they have government protections when they're using a highway that we pay tax dollars for for them to use, and they're given tax exemptions and protections to protect free speech. It's a, the, when, they, when you agree to that type of contract, the only contract that matters is the Constitution of the United States. So they agreed to the tax credits and the tax and the lawsuit protections on the intent that they would defend the First Amendment rights in the Constitution. Clearly, that's violated, so they're now a publisher and editor, so... We need to remove those tax protections on them and they can compete like the New York Times and everybody else. And now we can sit there and let the free market take place. And anybody who's not restricting the free speech, those are the ones that get the tax protections. That's all we really have to do with that portion. But honestly, the, the biggest enemies that I'm seeing right now are from within. And a lot of that is our fault as parents because we've allowed our children to be brainwashed without actually educating them every step of the way. For an outside influence, I think that China would be our number one biggest problem that's going on. Their, their, their huge focus on uh, taking our technology and trying to manufacture it there to resell it to us when we have constitutional protections on inventors. Um, and I, I, I think that uh, extreme, extremism is always a big, big problem even in the United States. But I think that it's really coming from the left and not the right. I mean, I understand why people went to Washington, D.C. and protested. For 30 years, the establishment told us, too bad, I'm shipping your jobs to China, I'm shipping your jobs to Mexico, I'm shipping your jobs everywhere, I'm gonna let everybody in, I'm gonna take your social security benefits away from your grandmother, hand it to an illegal immigrant, and there's nothing you can do about it. For 30 years, the establishment yeah. told us the middle class isn't coming back. And then one president in four years proved them wrong, 
on every single issue. That's why Americans are frustrated, and it's not going to go away. I can tell you now after this Trump impeachment trial, there's some people who are like, well, maybe I should have voted for him instead of Biden. Well, it's upsetting. Thing. I'm just letting them talk. Yeah. You know, first step to recovery is admitting the mistake or the issue that you have, you know, so that the uh, so I think the biggest problem is what we have both domestically and a little. I know China is a big problem, but honestly, our biggest problem is domestic now, realizing that it's Americans trying to trample Americans rights of freedom of speech, trample American Americans rights across the board, labeling just one specific group in the mainstream press. Nazi Germany did not rise to power because Hitler took over the press. He rose to power because the press joined him. That's what most people don't realize when they think back to history. And that's one of the things I have been discussing prior to announcing to run again. Yeah, and the press in the, in the interwar period during Hitler's rise, uh, you know, the demonization of the Jewish people in Germany uh, is what led to that Holocaust. And that demonization wasn't just Joseph Goebbels working for the Nazi Germany because it started before there was a Joseph Goebbels. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, it started when the press agreed with Hitler and joined him freely uh, mm -hmm. and started demonizing that entire population of over 6 million people, and plus others. It wasn't just Jewish people. It was homosexuals. It was people with mental disabilities. It was, uh, you know, uh, uh, people that didn't have the right to look from a blonde-haired, blue-eyed perspective. Anybody uh, that, uh, that was different, uh, the press demonized them, and the Nazi party, when it came to power, really just took that and used the press and what it was already doing. Uh, as a matter of fact, the New York Times was part of that. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, the Nazi government uh, made it a government program. And that's what led to the horrendous uh, assassination of more than 6 million innocent people. Uh, and, uh, and folks, uh, the world still lives with that today. You know, we still have idiots like the Ayatollah Khamenei, who says the Holocaust didn't happen. We have idiots in our own Congress, like Ilian Omar, that don't think that the Holocaust really happened. And she's actually alluded to that, if not outright said it, uh, and her squad and those kind of things. And they're extremely anti-Semitic. But I think you're right. The domestic issue is, uh, is really a huge threat. But China, in my opinion, is intricately woven into that issue because they control organizations and corporate media like Twitter. They have major controls over Twitter, Facebook, uh, uh, and influence over other corporations that, that uh, enable the left to be able to do things like cancel somebody like a Mike Glendale, don't they? They do. And when you, you brought up Ayatollah Khamenei, you know that, uh, the day before the riot, he talked about death to America and bringing down fire on us and everything else. But oddly enough, he's still on Twitter. So I find that interesting that Twitter leaves like the Ayatollah up. They leave Kim Jong-un up. They leave up these dictators across Africa that actually commit genocide against people. But that's OK. And then they sit there in the, the Uganda election. They sit there and... Uh, the, 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 they go down, they shut down the internet for communication against the guy's opposition. And then uh, Twitter comes out with this big statement of how they 
stand for democracy and free speech. Well, they only stand for free speech if it's their free speech. I mean, that's the only thing that we have going on there. Parler actually just came back up yesterday. Most people don't realize that yet. But that, that's what's starting to happen is now our free speech, speech platforms have to go to Switzerland and Russia. Whoever thought that we would have to go to Russia to protect freedom of speech in the United States of America? Or, I mean, Switzerland makes sense, but Russia? I mean, come on. That's the way it is, my friend. Uh, you know, it's a strange country and world that we live in, and it seems like the, the uh, world is taking a position against uh, America first citizens in this country that, that, you know, that saw what Donald Trump could do and then saw what he did do once he got in office, uh, with all these policies, he wasn't perfect. Uh, but, uh, but, but, uh, I would go with him in a heartbeat if he decides to run again. And, and I did not support him in the first, uh, primary, uh, effort, uh, that he, when he ran in 2016. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's incredible. Uh, we've got some comments coming in on the uh, on the live stream, Tom. Let's take sure. a couple of those. One of them is about the windmills frozen uh, during the night and day yesterday uh, out in Texas. What do you think about uh, the president of the United States, the current one, uh, just arbitrarily rejoining the Paris Climate Accords uh, uh, when we have uh, obvious common sense issues that have to be resolved now because non-common sense policies and problems were created uh, by those policies in the climate the, world. The Paris Accords hurt just the United States and they hurt developed countries is what, is what they do. I mean, when you talk to people in Europe, they might not like Trump, but they liked his economic policies because not only did it benefit us, it benefited them. So, and even in Brazil, it benefited them. Countries that were U.S. allies benefited both directions under the Trump economy worldwide. So going back into the Paris Accords, again, back to the Constitution, the president of the United States should never be entering or exiting a treaty period. Congress keeps giving away their ability. This is what Congress is supposed to do. The president is the, is the chief of the military, is the foreign dignitary, is its foreign policy, he negotiates our trade deals, and he operates the bare bones of government. And the problem is we need to go back to the constitutional principles where these treaties can only be entered and exited through Congress. Because if they would have had to vote on the Paris Accords, Barack Obama would have never gotten us in there. That, that treaty would have never have passed the House, even with the Democrats controlling it, because of how bad it is for jobs. So the, these Paris Climate Accords, the far left, these executive orders are... Are just, they're just overboard and out of hand. So him re-entering it, again, I believe is completely unconstitutional. Yeah, and, uh, you know, when the Obama first entered the Iran nuclear deal, it was not uh, approved by two-thirds vote of the Senate, the United States Senate, as is required by the U.S. Constitution. Uh, speaking mm -hmm. of protecting and defending the Constitution, the Iran nuke deal, now this president wants to go back into it. Uh, and the, the Senate and the House of Representatives better start standing up and take their war powers back to themselves, take their treaty approval power back into the United States Senate and really make an emphasis on this because I'll be honest with you, the impeachments of Donald Trump has made the presidency even stronger mm -hmm. in my opinion. Look yes. what Mr. Biden is doing. 56 executive orders. Now, executive orders are supposed to be like 
you know, here's how I want you to do such and such within this law. They're not things like, don't obey the law, uh, you know, and arrest illegal aliens or drug traffickers or human traffickers. Uh, uh, when you do arrest them, release them back inside the United States. That's breaking the law. Executive orders aren't supposed to be able to do that. So it's a breath of fresh air to hear a candidate for the United States Congress that not only is willing, but it sounds like you have a plan, Tom, uh, to push to bring the powers of the Congress of the United States back to the Congress and force that issue so that the American people can see it for what it is. And that is we are we are putting ourselves in danger. When I say we, I mean the government of the United States and the state's uh, governments all the way down to the local level. If we continue to allow this breach of the enumerated powers to be subsumed by the executive branch. We're creating a tyranny in the executive branch of the United States by these actions or lack of actions, aren't we? I think we completely are. Here's what I really want to do. I would love to go to Washington and make housing prices drop in the District of Columbia for the first time since the Great Depression. Most people don't realize that that's the only area that has not experienced a recession since the 1930s. When their prices go down in the District of Columbia and the rest of the prices go up around, across the rest of the country and there's more jobs in other parts of the country and they're all growing, that's how I know that I've been successful in Congress. Otherwise, I would consider it a failure or at least stopping the prices. I'm young enough that I might be able to be that big of a pain in the butt. But the thing is, you need to be willing to get on camera, engage the Democrats, not be afraid of them not liking you. So what if they're going to hate you on Twitter and Facebook and everything else? The thing I say to Democrats is like, you know, I've had them scream at me and they're like, well, why, why doesn't this bother you? And I say, well, you're not shooting at me. I'm not getting stabbed and there's no mortars. So what else do you have? I've had drill sergeants yell at me worse than that. And they don't even have half the backbone when these guys are. I mean, these, these liberals don't even have half the backbone. I mean, my drill sergeants were way the heck scarier than some college kid with long hair and up in Tony, you know, Crow's living in his mother's basement. I mean, come on. Speaking of speaking of scared, uh, I know that uh, you're a big Second Amendment uh, uh, supporter and advocate, uh, just like we all should be. Uh, First Amendment and Second Amendment, Fourth Amendment, whatever, all the civil rights that are laid out in the Constitution and the natural rights that belong to us that are not, we should all be huge advocates of that, no matter what letter is behind our name, whether we're independent, Republican, or Democrat, uh, but we're not anymore. Uh, and it looks like the Democrats in Congress really are afraid of the American people with this military, ongoing military deployment of the National Guard and a military occupation of the capital of the United States of America. I've never seen anything like it. I served for over 33 years, part of that, a couple of years at the Pentagon on the Joint Staff, and I've never seen anything like this even after 9-11, and I was in the Pentagon on 9-11, uh, we didn't see uh, walls going up around the Capitol, the White House, uh, but especially the Capitol uh, with military guys with, you know, MP4s uh, uh, and all kinds of hardware guarding the entrances to it, like, uh, like it's North Korea in Pyongyang. Uh, that's where you've seen those kinds of things. And in the Soviet Union and and China, 
uh, in Beijing. That's where I'm used to seeing those kinds of things. And what are your thoughts on that? I think it, I suspect for me, it gets back to presidential versus congressional power again. Uh, but it also what bothers me is that the Secretary of Defense, both before and after the transition of power, didn't really come out and say, this is ridiculous. We have no mission. Why are we wasting all these tax dollars and training time and those kind of things on this uh, military occupation? What are your thoughts well, on that? My thoughts on it, uh, the Democrats, I'd never put anything past them to blow money to, in order to create a narrative that doesn't exist. I mean, I would have, I would not shock me if the Democrats were leaving this many soldiers there so they could have CNN and NSNBC and all these far left agencies talk about protecting themselves against far right extremists. And I'm sitting here thinking, let's for instant pretend that the majority of these rioters were Trump supporters. So we can pretend this for a minute. Let's, let's go ahead and say that the Republicans have one riot under their belt. The Democrats have over a thousand in 12 calendar months. And we're they're afraid of us. I think it's because we are armed. So this whole attack on the assault rifles and everything else, the entire point of the Second Amendment was so that the government is scared to death of you, not you scared of your government. That is the only purpose of it. And the other part is, I mean, as an infantry soldier, I was more scared of a Muslim that is a leftover World War II rifle because it could blow through body armor. That is, your AKs and your ARs, those are designed for suppression fire. But if you're really going to take somebody down with body armor, you need a high caliber round. So... I find it amazing that these guys don't have that common sense because those the high capacity weapons, they're meant for long-term combat and engaging. It is meant to sit there and do that. Our founding fathers, all of them, talked about a well-armed and well-disciplined society it was essential to the rights of freedom because without the Second Amendment, you don't have the first. I mean, for the... For all of this, all that's holy right now, we, we barely have the third, fourth, and fifth right now. Due process is basically out the window. I mean, we it just is. put a we, we just put a president on trial with the with a witness as a juror and a judge, like we pointed out here, here earlier. We went through and we we literally destroyed a massive segment of the United States Constitution, and none of them want to talk about it because God forbid somebody starts talking about the document again and say, take 25 minutes and go and read it. It's not a long document. You can legitimately read the United States Constitution in about 25 minutes. And you can read your amendments within about another 10 tops. So you're talking about a half hour to read the document of your country? You know, a few people have actually went out there and done that? That's the saddest part of it. Yeah, it's incredible. I, I have a copy of it. Uh, I have an app on my phone that uh, <laughs> that is the Constitution app. So, I mean, that's what it does, but I also carry uh, carry a copy around with me, especially if I'm out uh, involved in politics or political activity. Uh, I've got a copy in my pocket because, you know, uh, it, it's, it's the thing that's most precious. What, what a lot of this hullabaloo that's been going on, especially the last four years and now this impeachment of Trump for the second time and all that, uh, is, is people are making like the building of the Capitol used in terms like cathedral and, and sacred. And yeah, it's important. Look, I've been there many times. I always, when I worked at the Pentagon, I always took my visitors into the Capitol to look at, especially the paintings in the rotunda, because it, they, it tells the story of American history uh, quite, uh, quite well. And to look at the statues to 
both see what great Americans are there and what and what kind of crappy Americans are there because states are the ones that pick those statues. So, you know, it's not up to Nancy Pelosi, really, what statues are in Statuary Hall. It's up to the, the individual states. So, you know, it, it's a, it gives you an indication of where the country is in certain places uh, by the statues that they remove or put in or leave in for years and years and years. So it's an important place, but it's not. What's sacred is the Constitution of the United States, the natural rights that uh, are laid out in the Declaration of Independence that underpin it. That's what we swear to give our lives for when we join the military. Uh, mm -hmm. And that's what every one of those officers elected and, and appointed up in D.C. swear to support and defend. And when you see it completely assaulted, like Senator Bill Cassidy here in my state of Louisiana did, uh, uh, when he tried to explain his treachery of his vote to convict the president, uh, he completely threw out the window due process and the First Amendment. Completely threw it out the window. And that tells me that people, in order to get a guy, they wanted to get the guy, Mr. Trump. Uh, they said, we've got to destroy the Constitution and things, the things that are most valuable to us and most sacred. And that does not happen in this country. And I don't think the majority of the American people will stand for it. They may get away with it in the short term, but I think they're going to get pummeled for doing it in the long term, especially if we get folks like you elected to the United States Congress, Tom. How can folks find you? Go to tom.gop, and no, my website doesn't have anything to do with the GOP. It was just a simple domain name. So tom.gop. Like I keep telling everybody, if everybody went through and they donated 10 or 20 or 30 bucks a month, whatever they could afford monthly, if we could get three to 5,000 people a month doing that, we could destroy one of the Congress members and have a ground-up revolution that actually fights back peacefully. And it, that's the type of thing we have to do. We have more power than they've been telling us we have for years. And we have the ability to take it back, but we have to be willing to do it. Nancy Pelosi gets involved in races across the entire country. It's time Republicans fight back and do the same thing in order to set it back. We have to first retake Washington to reinstill the state's rights in order to put the check and balance system back in this country. And I think folks should continue to protest. And, uh, and I think folks, that when they have organized armed protests, like we saw two, one in Michigan and one in Virginia last year, that were very effective and very peaceful. Yep. Very effective and very peaceful. I helped organize okay. the Second Amendment because one in Michigan. Because the idiots that raised hell and did violence up in D.C. on January 6th, they have put back the MAGA movement and the America First movement. They set us back. They, they prevented the, the facts about the election fraud and election integrity or lack thereof from being presented on the floor of Congress. And, and that's what's protected is peaceful assembly and redress of grievances, mm -hmm. not insurrection. I don't call that an insurrection. You want to see a real insurrection? Go look at the Whiskey Rebellion uh, yep. where they had 8,000 armed uh, rebels uh, actually attacking uh, a uh, yeah. seat of government at the local the, level. The last insurrection was led by Democrats. The last Say insurrection again, in this Tom? country was led by Democrats. Say that again. The last insurrection in this country was led by Democrats. 
That yeah, was and I think a few one. Democrats were involved in the uh, agent provocateurs uh, that led to the January 6th, the worst of it anyway. And well, I still they did erect a couple. They erected a couple Antifa people yep. that were mixed in sure there. Did. I mean, the uh, the guy with the horns on there, when they start talking, he sat there and his whole page is covered with Antifa stuff. And then his lawyer goes, well, he was brainwashed by Trump. Wait a second. If his whole wall is covered with Antifa stuff, how can he be brainwashed by Trump when he's been protesting Trump for a year and a half? That's it's just right. Like and, and John Earl Sullivan was a violent protester from Utah. He's an Antifa and BLM yeah. supporter. He was arrested. He was right where veteran Ashley Babbitt was killed unnecessarily by the police officer. Uh, Babbitt was unarmed, and it was known to the police that were right around her that she was unarmed and uh she was basically summarily executed, and I still want to know why, and I want to know uh, what the report looks like uh, in the video, all the video uh, get released from that incident. I want to see that happen. I want to know who planted the pipe bombs because that will lead to who the core of the pre-planners were that organize folks to be violent uh, in that area, which is not where the most of the 500 plus thousand Trump supporters were, as a matter of fact. Uh, so I want the whole story to come out, everybody involved to be held accountable according to the law. But just keep this in mind. In the Whiskey Rebellion, General Washington had personally led troops there uh, for a short period of time. It was an insurrection. Uh, but here's what happened at the end. 150 people or so were arrested. Two were convicted of treason, and George, President George Washington pardoned both of them. It's totally unnecessary for the United States of America Congress to try to declare every one of the 75 million Trump voters a domestic terrorist, and that appears to be an attempt on the horizon. Well, you got to realize, the seat that I'm running in was represented by Jerry Ford. Jerry Ford pardoned Richard Nixon at the end of it because he was put forth a question by Ambassador Sekia, where uh, they sit there. He asked him, well, he, he was asked a, he asked a question to Ambassador Sekia, who at the time worked on his staff, and he told he said, "If I don't pardon Nixon, what's going to happen? Well, you'll you'll be able to earn your own term as president. If I pardon Nixon, what will happen? He's like the country will heal faster. He pardoned Richard Nixon in order to." Heal the country faster is what he did. So he did the same exact type of thing as George Washington would have done in that scenario, and he ended up losing to Jimmy Carter. And on the plus side, we ended up with Ronald Reagan. So it yeah, ended up working out amazing. We may not have had Ronald Reagan, and that took courage. Uh, yeah. And that took selflessness for Gerald Ford to do that. Uh, uh, but I'm afraid we don't live in an, a political environment that will – uh, enable uh, a courageous elected official that has the power to do the right thing anymore. So we're not going to stop. No. I want people to keep protesting. I want them to make their voices heard. If you want to be armed when you do it, that's fine. Do it legally. Follow the First Amendment and demand that America First policies stay in place and be enacted. And if they're not, Throw the bums out and elect guys like Tom Norton. Tom, one more time, tell people how they can find you and where they can donate to you. Go to tom.gop and go right there. 
the website's getting rearranged here the next day or two, but it still works the whole time. The old one's going to still be up because we're rearranging it. But go to tom.gop, and like I said, if everybody can donate what they can monthly, we're going to be able to truly retake this country. Yes, we can, and uh, my Super PAC, Gator PAC, uh, is endorsing Tom Norton in Congressional District Michigan 3 against Peter Meyer, who voted to impeach the President of the United States unnecessarily and unwarranted, and uh, we will help. Uh, you can go to GatorPAC.com and click on the Donate to the Veterans Leadership Fund, uh, in order to do that, uh, uh, and we can give direct to candidates and do third-party expenditures, and that's where your money's going to go, direct to candidates or third-party expenditures to help them out. So GatorPack.com and Tom.GOP.com, is that correct? No, just Tom.GOP, that's it, that easy. Tom.GOP, go there and that easy. give direct to him, and if you want to give more, you can always go to GatorPack.com dot com and give more uh, because the laws do limit how much you can give as an individual and a corporation and we have to follow the law and that's what's important here uh, thank you very much tom for coming on we appreciate it and good luck and we'll have you back on just before the primary thank you very much god bless, god bless. folks we appreciate you uh coming on and joining us today uh this has been an incredible uh, uh, interview session with Tom Norton, uh, combat veteran uh, at, from Afghanistan wars, who is running against an impeachment Republican, Peter Meyer, in Michigan's Congressional District 3. And we appreciate him coming on, and we appreciate your viewership. And one more time, you can uh, see the show again, uh, tell, share it with your friends when it gets posted. Uh, on all of our social media, uh, Facebook, Twitter, Gab, Parler, Telegram, uh, MeWe. We post uh, the, our articles and our videos there, and this video will go into post-production and be published again on this Thursday in the AM. Until next week, I'm Rob Minas. <laughs>